Welcome to the broadcast. This is Michael Easley in Context. And today, although you don't hear from her often unless you hear Ask Dr. E, Hannah Seymour, the executive producer of the programs, introduced me to the pour over. And Hannah, jump in here and talk a little bit about why you put this in front of me, what, a year ago? And Happy. said, Dad, you need to start reading this and looking at this. So I don't even know how the pour over came across my desk, but somebody sent it to me and I took a look at it and said, I can be, I can be down with this. And so I subscribed and they sent, I'm like doing your job for you, Jason. They, yeah. <laughs> they, they send emails out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it's a really, really quick five minute read recap of what's going on in the world. There's another email that does something similar five days a week called The Skim. I used to read The Skim and loved it. And one day I just was over it. And so when the pour over came across my desk, I thought, now this is really my vibe because it's three days a week. It's a quick read, but it comes from a biblical worldview. And so they are, you know, attempting to do their very best in reporting stuff succinctly and not politically affiliated. And then at the end of a little news blurb, they'll have a verse or a thought or a prayer or something that just kind of reminds you like, yep, you know what? The election, it really does matter in America. At the same time, it's not eternal. God's on the throne. It just every time kind of roots you back into what we know as believers, that the Lord's in control. It's all going to be okay. So anyway, when I learned about it and started watching other people advertise on TPO, I thought, these are our people. Like, <laughs> for In Context, Ask Dr. E, Michael Easley Sermons, our audience is very similar, I think, to the TPO audience. And so, yeah, so that's how I introduced it to you, Dad. And, and I read it, and I thought, Jason, you might take umbrage at this. But I said, you know, this is the Drudge Report for a new generation. Meaning mm -hmm. you're doing an aggregate, but you're adding definitely a Christian emphasis to things where Drudge initially was an aggregate without commentary. And in fact, I was teasing before we recorded. I said, Jason, are you trying to be like Matt Drudge and Adam Ford and be hidden? <laughs> <laughs> no, but Hannah, if you're looking for another job, that was a, <laughs> a, a fantastic explanation. No, you can't and, have and her. Great endorsement. Yeah, I, I good, think thanks. I'd I think I'd struggle to steal you away, but um, <laughs> you can't have her. I'll, uh, very yeah, well we'll done. End the interview right now. This will never be released. Let me give you a little high pitch of the pour over before we talk to Jason because we need to listen to him. He is a pastor's son, a PK. So you and Hannah should have a therapy session afterwards. Uh, your MBA from the University of Iowa. I didn't know they had a University of Iowa. Kidding. You worked in corporate America before TPO. You founded TPO, and you serve as the CEO and editor-in-chief. And you've got some interesting links, and we're going to talk about those that people would have to do a little clicking to get to. But how you choose stories and how you write about Christianity in this context. You've got about 200 and probably 40,000 growing readers now, about 50,000 on your podcast and 80,000 Instagram followers. How's your podcast? Uh, is, it, is it weekly or is it? So it's the same, same thing as the newsletter. It's just a different version. So it comes out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and it's, okay. it's a pick or choose. It's a well-done, well-produced audio version of the newsletter. Nice. So first of all, tell us a little bit about your pre corporate background before you started TPO? Yeah. So I grew up as a pastor's kid and really all through through most of high school and, and almost all of undergrad, I expected to go to seminary 
and going to ministry. And then kind of at the end of undergrad, I made a pivot and was like, you know, I'd really, I'd like to go to business school, had kind of a mentor in my life that was in ministry and had just pivoted and was like, you know, I think, I think this could be a good fit for you. And so then I went and I was working at Dish Network. Huh. They're building yeah. a 5G network to compete with Verizon and AT&T. And so I was a program manager there working on data and law enforcement security stuff and wow. things that have nothing to do with what I do now. <laughs> but so there were like three things that kind of came together for for the pour over being born. But one of them was saying like, I used to have all these gospel conversations because people would ask me, what do you want to do? Or what do you do? And it's like, oh, well, I do this, but I'm planning on going into ministry. I want to be a pastor. Those conversations just cut off. Like when I decided I wasn't going to go that route, suddenly I just wasn't ever really having gospel conversations or ministry conversations. Like I realized that was the conversation starter. And so part of what I wanted the pour over to be early on, it was, it was really just a personal exercise, but part of the value to me was to say like, Hey, yeah, I work at dish or I work wherever. And I do this, you know, Christian news thing on the side and to just kind of not have my identity totally wrapped up in that. And then it grew and, and eventually it was, uh, it was like, you know, I am, working a lot at dish and then coming home and killing myself to get the pour over out. And I really enjoy that, you know, and at some point I looked up and it's like, you know, we're, we're making money. This can support me. And my wife and I were already planning on uh, moving back to the Midwest. And it's like, Hey, you know, let's, let me just not look for a job. Let's try this out for six months. You know, we'll, we'll be fine for six months. I can, I can take a paycheck uh, from the pour over and it's like, maybe in six months, it will have grown and, and be like, hey, I can do this full time. And, and if not, then I'll go find another job. But it worked out. When did you officially launch? So, it, and that's, that's, it's a little murky. Like the first sure, email sure. we sent was, I think, May of 2018. It was to okay. like six friends, you know? Okay. Yeah. The goal there was, I was saying, hey, to these friends, like, hey, I want to summarize the news and try to take it from a Christian perspective. Like it just feels like world events from a Christian perspective isn't really done. There's a lot of commentary. I want to try it. Just hold me accountable. I'm going to send an email. And so that's, that's how it started. And it just continued. Almost like a focus group, almost like give me your feedback and tell me what you think. When you began TPO, I suspect you had a bunch of iterations before you settled on format. If you go back and look at what has a header of currently unnamed email um, <laughs> and like there were pictures, there were jokes, there was like a like a comic section, there was like a, a quiz, like all sorts of things. Like it was just totally different. <laughs> and you don't see that anymore. As always in our show notes, we have information on how you can find Jason or more precisely the pour over or TPO as we'll be referring to it. And of course your search engines can do it if you don't want to use our links, but they're there for your convenience. So Jason, you sent one of our, our employees, the way you choose stories, there's a tab called story selection. And then there's, you talk about foundations of Christian principles and, and how we do what we do. And I, I want to walk through some of these because when I read them, I was like, okay, that's, that's a bone to pick a little bit. We could talk through this. Let me just read yeah. your copy. Why we select these stories. And then you say the pour over's mission is to keep Christians informed on what's happening in the world while remaining focused on Christ. 
Put differently, we want readers of the TPO to be aware of the same events they would learn about from major news sources, the same events their non-Christian co-workers and classmates might be talking about, and help them process it from a foundation of their faith. That means we select stories differently than most Christian news sources in general. I kind of laughed at this. In general, Christian news sources write three types of stories. One, spiritually significant events like missions, abortions, etc. Two, long-form commentary. Three, Christian current events. What Lecrae is up to, for example. We don't do this. Okay, stop right there. Why? It's because it's already being done. It's already being done well. And so that was like, we have no beef with those people. We're glad that they exist. And and honestly, if they didn't, that's probably what the pour over would have been. But there was some, there was some aspect of like, I'm not a pastor as much as my intentions for years might've been like, I'm not a pastor. So I'm not going to write long form analysis, thoughtful, theological reflections on something like you are much better <laughs> equipped for that, but I'm, I'm not, you shouldn't come uh, to me for that. And um, really it felt like there was a gap of saying the world events, like the biggest news that's happening in the day, the stuff that you're going to hear about the only, it felt to me that the only option for those was news sources that were measured on a political scale. You have the liberal sources, you have the conservative sources, you have the neutral sources, but even that is saying they're they're politically neutral. There are very few people trying to pair these events with their faith immediately when they happen. And so by the time that a longer form article has been written on something, most people have already heard about it 10 times from their kind of politically motivated news source. It's like, what if Christians could stay informed, you know, like be aware of what's happening and also be encouraged to not separate that from their faith. And so that's really our goal is we try to write in a politically neutral and engaging way. And we have writers from across the political spectrum to just make sure that like everyone would say, Hey, my side is being, fairly represented here, you know, and then we aren't providing specific, Hey, this is how a Christian should respond or think or act or vote or whatever. All we do because it's timely is this is what happened. And here's a reminder, like here's a very foundational biblical Christian reminder to just say, Hey, we aren't going to apply this for you, but we're also not going to let you separate this from your faith. Like think about these things together. One of my ongoing, I would say beefs is, you know, we've moved from journalism to opinion. There are precious few journalists left. And whether you're, you know, Democrat, consider yourself liberal, libertarian, you're Republican, whatever. We don't have many journalists. We have opinion people. They tell you what they feel, what they think, why they're right, why you're wrong. And I've been struck as I've read the pour over. You get close to that at times, and sometimes there is a little leading. How do you process through that, Jason? And how do you think about that juxtaposition, reporting versus opinion? One of the restraints that, to your point, prevents us from going full-blown like we just don't even really have the capacity to do it. We're concise. So we hit 
some pretty strict word counts. And so there's some aspect of like, hey, by the time that we've explained what's happening and tried to insert a joke or something to keep it entertaining, we don't have a whole lot of space to opine on what's going on. And the second is what we were saying. We, we have people from both sides that sign off on all the stories. None of the stories have a single writer and like they're never signed. It's like, hey, Jason wrote this one or whatever. Multiple people weigh in and look and review and say, hey, yeah, you've you like I said, you've you've accurately represented political stances, views on this uh, topic or story. And the other thing is like we really because of that, we really don't want like we, we don't want to influence people politically. That's not our goal. We're certainly accused of it <laughs> plenty, but I can say it, it is our goal to be politically neutral because we care a lot more about your faith in your relationship with God and saying, hey, we want to inform you and then and then pair this and say like, it shouldn't matter what a Republican thinks about this. It shouldn't matter what a Democrat thinks about this. You shouldn't be saying, oh, you shouldn't be looking to your politicians or leaders to say, how, how do I feel? Like, should I be incredulous? Should I be angry? Should I, whatever. It's like, here's what happens. And, and we're very limited in the type of kind of Christian perspectives that we give and, and just say like, hey, remember that we need to love everyone, even the person that the story kind of inherently makes you not want to love, or this is scary or feels like a big deal or whatever. But when you zoom out and think about it in context in, in light of eternity, you won't even remember this in a year or this just doesn't matter that much. And so that's the balance executing on it. Like our motivation of wanting to be politically neutral does not mean that we hit it every time. It's hard. Basically every source we pull from is political. And so we try to read a bit of everything and, and distill it and, and present the facts. But I mean, so, it's just such a polarized space. Let me, let me push back a little bit. I mean, Politically neutral, uh, one of the things I've tried to make a definitive change on, Jason, is for years I have asked guests, and even in my teaching and preaching, I've tried to say, how does the Christian respond to X? In my chapter of life, I wheeled back and go, wait a minute. It's not the Christian's job to go around responding to everything. I'm really trying to laser focus on making disciples of all ethnos and being the mm. believer Christ has me in the sphere of influence where I am. That being said, by going on to these formats that you and I are using at this moment, we are increasing our sphere of influence. So if mm -hmm. I'm just giving information for information's sake, and I'm trying to be neutral or non-politicized, isn't that kind of a, a shell game? Because if it's truth... If it's evil, how do I speak into that if I approach it from a, I want to be politically neutral, I don't want to take a side, but if something's wrong, Jason, then do we just say, oh, here it is, and, and love the people that are evil? So, I mean, I think it's important to remember the pour over has a very specific scope and mission and is a tool. And it's not, it does not reflect like my personal response to these things. But like you were saying, there's a there's a lack of journalism. There's a lack of just the ability to know what's going on without being told how to feel about it. 
And so that's what we're trying to step into. And so it's not, we don't want people to come and look at the pour over in the same way that they would look to you or a pastor or, or the church. Like there are, like I was saying, part of what we do and why we limit ourselves is because there are people in the kingdom that are better equipped and have better talents to do the things that you're talking about. Like there, there's no shortage of pastors and leaders that will call call out sin as sin and say, here's how we need to vote or act or do things. And those are good things. Like we we would do that if that didn't exist. But part of what we have to balance is we write about things that we heard about 15 minutes ago, you know? And so to say that we, that me, Jason Woodruff, on demand is going to have the correct, thoughtful, prayerful response, biblically true response. That's just not the case. And so we want to be a tool to equip everyone, including pastors and leaders, and we want people to take this and build off of it, but we aren't trying to do all of that. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. Please don't hear me projecting this on you. In my worldview, experience, cloak, if you want to call it, I, I don't like when people say my ministry that always irritates me, but it, <laughs> I, the sphere that I have had and have is you can't do this without leading. It's impossible to be the neutral zone in Star Trek. There's no Swiss theology. You know, you're, you, you can't be in isolation and neutral. For me to say what you just said, it'd be pretense. Because if they've listened to me for any length of time, they know I'm right-wing. They know I'm pro-life. They know I mm -hmm. believe in marriage between one man and one woman for life. And I quit years ago worrying about the hate mail because I, I thought, you know, if I'm standing on a firmly grounded passage and a firmly grounded yeah. biblical theology, I don't really care if people are upset about that. I love them. I'm not mad at them. But if yeah. they're vitriolic or foul or, or whatever, it, you know, it shows the weakness of their, of their attack, right? It shows the weakness of their argument. That being said, I just find it interesting. And, and Hannah has pushed me a lot on this to think more critically because I do think generationally things are very different. Hmm. Because when I was your age or Hannah's age, you know, there were very different issues. Today, you've got to be nuanced. You've got mm -hmm. to be a lot more careful I think, you know, e even one of your, your uh, comments on the poor method is unconditional love. It's wonderful. And, but I thought that's born out of a response to something, you know, yeah. whenever anybody writes a position paper, right, you're writing it as a response to something. So I'm not, I'm not challenging you or saying you're wrong. I'm more intrigued by how you got there. The goal is that the application of being politically neutral is that we don't tell you who to vote for, that we don't okay. apply what it is. Not that we are unwilling to say that abortion is wrong. So w when Roe v. Wade was overturned, presented, and, and you can go back, it's on our Instagram, you can read what we wrote, it's all public, you know, we're, we're reporting on it. And we presented, here's, here's what happened. And removed from that was saying, was any tone of celebration, 
any of that. Like we just reported what happened. And then our Christian perspective was, it said we're called to, we use the above all love, unconditional love. We said we're called to love everyone. And that includes mothers, unborn children, people that disagree with you on abortion, you know? And that's basically all we said. It was, you know, like 20 words because there's no secret what a, at least mainstream Christians response to this was. And there's no, you don't read it and go, oh, these people are unwilling to take a stance. We're just not going to speak into it that much. We just don't offer that a whole lot of commentary. It's not what we do. You know, like we report and we try to pair it with a reminder to say, Hey, what I need to hear right now most is not a verse explaining why abortion is wrong. What I need to hear right now as a Christian is a verse telling me that I need to love someone who disagrees with me on abortion. Like that my natural response to this is, is like, it's such a combative divisive thing. And so it's easy for me to be upset with what liberals or what uh, conservatives are saying, you know, and, and yelling and, and, and to feed into that. And like, so that's why we chose the response in the verse that we did is like, we, we don't need to write another theological assessment on, on life. We need to help people process the news that is happening right now. And the news is that this big event happened and the whole country is up in arms, you know, like on, on either side of it. It's interesting about the Dobbs decision. And, you know, um, I'm struck by in both sides, whether you, were glad or you were, you know, in despair, they didn't read the decision. The decision just puts it back in state rights. This did not end abortion in our country. It put it back in the state rights. And so that that's just one of the many beefs I have. Let me talk, which kind of lends to this brevity versus thoroughness. Uh, the mm. pour over is brief, which yeah. is, a, is wonderful yet you know as well as I do the drop rate on our podcasts, the brevity with which people scan things. When I do something on or our staff does something on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, when people immediately thumbs up or immediately attack, it all it did was reveal they haven't read it. That's right. all it reveals. Right. Because yep. in fact, I was you know naively some years ago wrote, please don't you know, like or upvote or hate this immediately until you've read the link, because mm -hmm. the thoughtfulness is one of my big frustrations, Jason, is that yeah. if, you know, if yay comes out and says something, you know, the dump trucks line up, you know, pro and con some Fox news person versus some CNN person. I mean, before they've even read it, they mm -hmm. just vilify or celebrate. And I'm, I'm so concern. It's one of my beefs is people don't know history and the truncation of social media, the truncation of even the pour over. Do you find that a concern or a danger or is that just the way it is? I mean, it is concerning. I do think that it's the, the lack of thoughtfulness and the ease of, of everyone being able to respond and having a platform to respond, it is not ideal. And and we're thinking about it, I mean, to further concern you, we're, we're talking like, what does the pour over look like on TikTok? Well, it looks even shorter somehow. Like how, how do you, you know, and we're struggling this saying like, 
we feel even too thoughtful and expansive for this little thing. And we are a concise, short, truncated news source, you know, it's a reality. And part of what we hope and like what we try to do is, hey, in we're going to be hopefully witty and engaging and uh, concise and give people the main points in a way that is engaging without overtly or like intentionally anger inducing or divisive or something. And then there are links to other things. It's also why like we're, we're newsletter first and I love the newsletter format because there's no comments, you know, like you can also get our news on Instagram, but then what people are saying and how many likes it gets and the responses shapes your view of, even if we write a totally neutral thing, if you then open and read a bunch of one-sided comments, it doesn't feel like we wrote a neutral thing, you know? And, and, and so it, it's an issue. We are trying to, like I said, we're, we're a, a small specific tool and are trying to do one thing, which is if the pour over is the only news source that you engage with, and it rarely is, but if it's the only thing that you engage with, the hope is that you are informed broadly about what's happening and you are informed in a way and and it was paired with biblical reminders in a way that you do not feel the fire and anxiety and anger. And there are also opportunities to click in and learn more. It's like, hey, we're referencing this, citing this article. You can go, you can go learn or read more, or kind of fact check us. And and we don't do any long form content, but if you want to get me riled up, it bothers me how all our lawmakers have have shifted to. I mean, you, you watch like any sort of deposition or cross examine or testimony, and they don't even ask. They don't even give the people an opportunity to respond. They like go on a tirade meant for social media and then ask them a yes no question. And it just happens a hundred times. Like there's not even an opportunity. You aren't even trying to get the answer, you know? And like, so there are certainly, it, it is a detriment to society to continue shortening attention span. And we are not trying to solve that problem, but we're trying to be useful in, in the midst of that. And like I said, it, it already feels like some of our formats are too, are too thoughtful and too long and, and we're the concise people in the room, you know? So it's, it's pretty wild. I don't know if you watched any of the Darrell or Daryl Brooks, uh, trial, the individual that, you know, killed six people and injured yeah. seven sovereign citizen. Yeah. yeah. But what I was struck by there was I was talking to my wife, Cindy, I said, you know, when OJ Simpson was on this very long trial, uh, what mm. people took away was if it doesn't fit, you must acquit. And that had to do with a glove. Yep. And they made uh, the tactical error of putting, of trying to have OJ put on this glove. And I thought no matter all the information that was presented by law enforcement, by forensics, but whatever, what the jury he heard was a truncation. And that's where we are today. Social media has been a wonderful tool but if you were to ask me under true serum i'd say 90 percent negative 10 percent positive because of the brevity of information we use the word fact check too quickly fact checking for whatever it is and people just believe it and, mm -hmm. and it, I, i'm struck by i remember um 
I think it was Robert Redford that made the comment, how can the Kardashians be such a popular family when they've never done anything but put pictures of themselves on social media or something to that effect? You know, they haven't acted, they haven't produced, they haven't directed, and they're multimillionaires because we like to look at pictures of them and the bizarre drama in their family system. And that to me is a diagnostic or no, that's, that's a symptom of our, our culture of we're, we don't, I mean, even in our church, I, I tease people about using their phone as their Bible, but you need mm. one real Bible <laughs> yeah. and you bring yeah. it to church. And I, you know, I, I joke, I go, this is called a pen and you can buy them online in packs and you need to take a note <laughs> once in a while because I'm real big on the neuroplasticity of writing and physically holding and reading. And I love the technology, but I think it's, it's done some damage. Now I'm prattling mm-hmm. and I want to ask your opinion on what I just said. You can pick apart whatever, but the brevity of social media, the accessibility, the instantaneous nature of a response without any knowledge has put us in a, a strange cauldron that did not exist even though when I was a child, we had three programs, ABC, CBS, NBC, and UHF, if, if you had a decent channel to watch, mm-hmm. you know, Mr. Rogers. And that was it. And now we've got, as Kev Moe said, 500 channels and nothing to watch. Mm-hmm. I hope that we have peaked in terms of kind of mm. uh, internet irresponsibility. And like the technology moves so quickly. Like you think about cars, cars were a new technology and they were dangerous. And it's like, well, then we added seatbelts and airbags and other stuff. And like what, and it, and it took a while, but like there was a while where the technology was just so cool and quickly adopted. And we didn't understand the the impacts. And then we did, and we, we started solving for those and, and we, we mitigated the downside and, and kind of kept some of the benefits. I mean, I just think about, I was, I saw an ad today on Instagram and it was for something that blocks Instagram after 15 minutes. And it's like, yeah, that, and that is appealing to me, you know? Um, and I don't even have a personal Instagram, you know, like it, it was only the pour overs Instagram that I was going to check something or post something. And it's like, there, there are, my best friend came to me. He's like, what do you think about this phone? And it's called the light phone. And it like, has intentionally slow internet and can is in black and white and can text and make calls and doesn't have other apps, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, I, I think that we, I do expect there will be kind of a swing back. What's hard is that like, it's, I mean, there's an entire generation that the screen generation, right? When I first got TikTok. I've never been social media addicted. I've never had an Instagram. I like got a Twitter, didn't get it. I have a Facebook that I haven't been on forever. I got TikTok and just like wasted days on TikTok. <laughs> and and then was like, this is horrible and set it up so that I couldn't, like I had that friend come in and lock my phone, that app so that it kicks me off after 15 minutes. Because I'm like, I need, I feel like for work, I need to be understanding what this thing is, but I can't do this. Yeah. And it's like, that was that was a mature adult realization and response to something that 
like if you're 12, you don't go to mom and say, Hey, will you lock me out of this app? It's wasting my time, you know? And so I, I worry and wonder what will happen to, to that. I was kind of on the tail end, um, and, and can see it, but, but hope as a society, we will figure out how to maintain a lot of the benefits without just continually giving more and more of your soul and time to tech that has no value. My friend, Bob Pritchard, who was the designer and developer of what was once called the CD Word Project, that Dallas Seminary had started. He bought it and turned it into Logos, which is this mm, you know, incredibly yeah. robust software system. And I remember in the early years, I was a very early adopter to all that. And I remember going out to uh, Seattle or Spokane, wherever it was at the time, and and he gave this presentation that said the internet is good or bad depending on how you use it. And I want to overwhelm the internet with good. Hmm. And I thought that's a noble statement. And, you know, he did a valiant job creating the Logos products and that's recently undergone a major change. Um, but that being said, I appreciate what technology can do for good. I just think my own sin nature and most people's temptation I was asking my son-in-law, who's very adept at technology, I said, why, when I go through Instagram, do I have all these women in bikinis in the TikTok feed? I don't mm -hmm. have a TikTok account. And he was trying to explain to me how, you know, these algorithms work and they know my profile. And it's not like I'm on the web searching for, you know, girls in bikinis, right. but somehow that aggregates in that TikTok feed. And if you apparently even slow down on Insta and glance across the TikTok feeds coming across, that's all they need to know. Okay, that slowed him down. And I I spend more time blocking, irrelevant, right? don't right. want to see this, which I think is a completely futile exercise. But I'm to the point where I hate it all. But like you, I have to keep a finger in it for in context and see what's happening. Let, let me, we're just chatting here, but let, let me ask you, well, you mentioned some of the criticism you get. Generically speaking, what are beyond just the, you know, I hate you for whatever. Mm -hmm. Do you find any category or, or maybe, you know, compartments of why people are angry at what the pour over is trying to do? Um, yeah, there, there are a few, like there are a few buckets of, of things. Okay. Like I would say there's a bucket of people that are critical of what the pour over does and, and it won't change, you know, like for, for example, like say, Hey, the way you select stories is just perpetuating the same stupid stuff, you know? And it's like, yeah, that is valid. We, that is, we are intentionally covering the most visible news of the day, kind of regardless of spiritual significance, because we want to help people process what they're already going to hear. Super valid criticism. You know, we are not raising awareness of significant things that are happening. We're just kind of helping process what, what is existing. There are also people that are just angry people that are kind of shouting into the internet, you know, and, and they're upset over the way we wrote something or whatever. And they are what I think is wrong. You know, like they're, they're saying this is wrong because, and you need to go get your news from, you know, this whatever thing. So there's, there's people that I would just say are, are offering bad feedback. And then there's people that are like offering genuinely helpful 
criticism and thoughtful things about like some of the things that you've said of like, hey, can we expand and like, how can you link to these more thoughtful articles or you have a platform, how can you use it? Or we just like, we get things wrong. It's like, hey, actually you said this and, and this isn't true. And then we write a correction or or more mildly, like you misspelled this word. <laughs> so there's like, there's different categories of things. Um, and And then what is remarkable is, in each one of those categories, there are kind and hateful versions of everyone, yeah, you know, yeah. and totally inconsequential. The most fascinating ones to me are the very kind, incorrect pieces of feedback. It's like, wow, mm. you are so kind and generous and thoughtful and are just demonstrably wrong. Like I can just Google this and say that you're incorrect, but it's, you, you expect them, you expect people that are going to be wrong to be like kind of wild and loud and in your face. And it's like, huh, there's a whole category of like kind incorrect people that I don't interact with very much. One of my favorite negative criticism tete-a-tete's was we did a, a thing on English Bibles and how we got our English Bibles and translations. And it's a bit of a, an interest of mine, a big interest of mine. And so I yeah. had some, uh, Dr. Ed Bloom, who's photographic memory translation committees, uh, from many different ones anyway. And we talked about it and one of my critics came on and said, King James only, and it wasn't a joke good enough for Paul kind of thing. And I wrote back and I, cause we, in the, in the broadcast, we talked about less than 3% of the population of the world. English is a primary language. Mm-hmm. So let's just talk about China. Uh, what version of the Bible do you want them to read? They don't have access to English Bibles, so they need a Chinese Bible. This person literally wrote back, Jason, well, the King James Bible in Chinese, of course. <laughs> like, okay, I don't know you want to say that. <laughs> yeah, we. But I've, that, I've yeah. dealt, one of our earliest sponsors was the Christian Standard Bible, and so we got a whole bunch of, uh, well, not a whole bunch, a, a relatively small, but frequent and loud KJV only people. Oh, and sure. yeah, it's just, th- there's no example better than what you just said, but the, the lack of logic, you know, and it's like hey, the King James version is an excellent Bible. I have no it's, issue with it. It's a good translation. It's, it's just yep. your, your arguments that I have issue. Exactly. With, you know? I had a professor friend that's with the Lord. Now he taught in a seminary. I will not name that they were King James only. And when he finished, he had like an 1,100-page book he published uh, called The Problem of King James Onlyism. Of course, it only sat on my shelf. It was too intimidating. Yeah. As we wind down our time, and again, our show notes will have information on how you can find out more about the pour-over, and you can even get some nice swag from the pour-over if you're so inclined. So help a listener, Jason, that's they've never looked at the pour-over. They don't know what the yeah. world is crazy email podcast is, why should they take a look at it? Well, Hannah said it well, explaining what all it is, but it's really our hope is to keep people informed and focused on Christ. And so that's, that's the goal. We do it right now in three different mediums. Maybe TikTok has come in if you, if you have a really, really short attention span, but we haven't figured that out. And it, it was originally a newsletter. That's still kind of our flagship product 
that's turned into a podcast. All that news is also on Instagram and on our Instagram stories. And there's some additional Instagram only uh, content that's posted. So those are the ways that you can engage with us and what we're doing. Jason Woodruff, founder and editor-in-chief of The Pour Over. Again, show notes have all the information. Thanks for your time, brother. And uh, I hope your endeavor continues to grow and prosper and, uh, and you enjoy the outlet that God's given you to uh, exploit. Thanks so much. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonamorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.